Welcome Sonoma County punk veteran Siren to the stage of the Phoenix Theater on the eve of what may be their final show ever. The band has reunited to play memorial for Miriam Wilding, sister of band member Brian Zero and honorary fifth member of the band. Tonight, we'll look back at the legacy of this band, the philosophies that were expressed through their music, what it meant to the members, and much more. Please welcome to the program a group that has a 20-year history on this stage, Siren. Absolutely. Welcome, you guys. Thanks. Welcome. Thank you. You know, and, and that brings the first question I wanted to ask. 20 years. You guys were a band on a mission 20 years ago. In 92 through, I don't know, 96 to 98, probably playing here pretty regularly. Is that Something about right? Something like that. I think it was 94 to 97. Was yeah. that it? Yeah. So we had you guys for a solid three years. That's right. 93. Yeah. We, were, we were in okay. Sonoma. We played Sonoma County 93 to 97. Yeah. We were only around for four years, really. So you guys were a band on a mission. You were, we were. Uh, it was quite clear what you stood for and, and uh, where you thought this world was at that time. Here we are 20 years later. Miriam actually wrote this on a WordPress page. Now, Miriam is your sister. That's correct. Miriam passed away in January of this past year, and Miriam is the reason we're all sitting here. You guys yeah. are together right. to play a show to honor her memory. Yeah. That's right. This week, this episode will come out after that. But but you were a band that was was very political, very thoughtful, uh, yeah. wanted action from your fans. And she wrote, and I know we objected to the term fans. We'll get to that later on. But she wrote on a WordPress page that she maintained that, uh, about this band, and she said, "Siren was an uncompromising and passionate outfit who challenged the corporate invasion and buyout of the punk scene, as well as the unquestioned triumph of technology at the expense of community." And they also um, stood for respect for the planet. So let's talk about that. This was a band that had a message. And obviously that message was important to her, just like it was important to so many members of the punk community down here. So let's let's start with like what what did this band stand for before we get to (laughs) how do you feel the world is today? What did this band stand for? Yeah. Um, well, maybe we could uh, go a little bit counterclockwise and we could start with Kevin. Yeah, sure. And see what Kevin has to say. Sure. So, and I got to recently talk about this on another podcast, which was great. Um, you know, one of the things that we want, really wanted to do was build community. And what we saw in the scene was this sort of um, hierarchy between band members and audience um, that was also sort of a barrier. Um, if you weren't a band member, then you had to pass that barrier for entry. You know, and, and that exists today. It does. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think the difference then was um, to get to that hierarchy, especially to become a bigger band, you had to really work for it in a different way without social media, without sort of the constant barrage of just, you know, stimulus all the time. Um, but I think one of the things that was really important as a group and, you know, Brian and I lived together through part of the band um, as well as Miriam. Joe and I worked together. Um, so we actually were with each other, not just as a band, but we were, you know, we were like family. I mean, we were together all the time. And I probably saw these guys more than anyone else in my life during those years that I was with Siren. What we wanted to do was kind of take the feeling we had for each other and spread it around, you know, to the people that came to our shows. So we, when we first started playing, we played at Cafe This, which didn't have a stage. Yeah. 
Um, and we kind of built our following that way. I don't think we played the Phoenix until we were really ready. Like when we could, we knew we could draw an audience to the Phoenix is when we played the Phoenix. Um, and so the, the sort of like the tearing down the wall, the barrier, um, that hierarchy between audience and band member was like, Brian used to talk about it all the time. And, you know, it was really important to us. And the way that we expressed that wasn't just on stage, but making peanut butter and jelly sandwiches after shows. We brought a screen to every show and let people print their own shirts. Um, and we only played all ages shows that were $5 or less. So, you know, there was kind of like a whole, you know, there wasn't just this like talk about it. There was an entire action kind of package that went along with our, with our ideals. And I think that, um, you know, especially at that time with Brian writing for maximum rock and roll, it allowed us to like have multiple platforms to talk about this in a time where you didn't have that kind of access normally, you know, you didn't have, I couldn't just go on Facebook and post, Hey, sirens plan a show. Like we had to walk around and flyer and it, it allowed us to get to know people in a different way. And that was one of the things when bands would play with us, I had somebody tell me recently, I remember when, when we asked to play a show with you guys, the requirement for, from Brian, was that he see flyers that you made around town not the ones we made because we always made our own flyers we hand cut them but we wanted to see other bands do the same and kind of put in that same effort because it was a team effort well one of the one of the things i mean just to jump in here a little bit is um one of the things that i i i think that we tried to do as a band and um in general actually was to encourage critical thinking was to actually encourage people to see things uh, beyond words. And, you know, Kevin and I had actually been in a band together before that, which was Engage, which was directly political. So we had lyrics that were directly confronting issues and talking about things. And Siren had those things too. But what we were really about, or one of the things that we were really about, was to get people to think, to critically think. So we tried to do things in a not-so-in-your-face way most of the time. Um, you know, which of course can, <laughs> sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't, you know, sometimes people don't get it, but you know, in, in our own way, I think that one of the things that we have behind us as a band or had behind us as a band was this idea of, of education, of learning and thinking about things and wisdom. Uh, the foundation of every community has got to be wisdom and critical thinking. And without that, you got trouble. So we've always been. Uh, an outfit which really tried to get people to think you know if if we work as educators in the classroom sometimes you have a kid who's coming from a background which is not going to be your background and they're going to use different words and um, especially in today's day and age we really need to get beyond those words to try to find the common core the common core that, that unites uh, the community is going to have to be wisdom it's going to have to be actually seeing things beyond the words and I think that that's kind of something that we always try to do as a band. People didn't get it sometimes. People didn't get it a lot of times, but sometimes they did. That was what the sandwiches were about. You know, we made sandwiches. We were like, this is an act of sharing. We didn't put a, um, a flag on it. We just did it. You know, that's kind of what we were trying to, to put across to people is that activism of any kind, building anything, it's more than just language. You know, it's more than just the words, it's the actual act actions, exactly. The, about the peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and things like that, I, when, when we were growing up, you know, punk rock shows were few and far between, and bands were even, you know, paying to play at, at different venues and this and that. I mean, I remember not having lunch for an entire week just so I can go and see a, a band on Friday 
And, you know, I, I left and had to get a ride with a friend or hitchhike or something like that, you know, and I was starving. So the, the peanut butter and jelly thing, it, that, that, uh, it made sense. It made sense to kind of, comp- to have a, like a whole package. Like, like when, like when uh, uh, Magic Johnson bought a movie theater and he realized in that culture, you know, this is it. You know, we don't have like movie and dinner. It's like either movie or dinner. And then he kind of, you know, made a concession stand that kind of catered to, to, to that, that, uh, that demographic. Well, I, I think, too, that, um, you know, <clears throat> for me, and this is something, you know, knowing Brian and Miriam, especially, you know, and I, we had a really close relationship back then. I, you know, one of the things I know is that and what I've experienced even now in the work that I do is that the people that come from the least means are the most generous, which is really strange. You know, it, it seems so counterintuitive, right? Like, well, you know, why would this person with no money be so <laughs> generous? Well, you know, empathy is is one reason. And I think that one of the things that that got missed sometimes, like when people looked at us as a band, especially when we went into other areas, like it was very different in Sonoma County for us because we actually would talk to people and, you know, we had the open conversation all the time. And there wasn't really a time that I remember in the first few years and even after Engage split up and we were just getting this going that Brian wasn't downtown talking to somebody about something. You know, and it didn't have to be always the topics that we wanted to push. I mean, people brought up all kinds of stuff. You know, it wasn't just like, we're just going to talk about veganism. We're just going to talk about technology. We're just going to talk about education. You know, it was really like, it was kind of open season. There were lots of times when we lived together and when they lived on, on the house, in the house on 4th Street together, a, a bunch of people that um, the, people would just come over and hang out and be up until like, you know, late at night just talking about things. And we weren't like, up getting drunk all night we weren't big drinkers at that time and it was just a very different feeling what I feel like we really wanted to do you know and this is just for me I can't speak for the other guys but I think for me I wanted people to be able to share in that feeling you know none of us really grew up with a lot of means you know I mean we 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 worked really hard we were like a truly a blue-collar band no doubt about it like we spent our money that we made like booking shows at like the Sebastopol Community Center paying the you know, the, the deposits, renting PAs, like trying to get people out to shows and on flyers, you know, and we were lucky enough at that time that Kinko's had those little cards that we could hack, you know. Um, but I think like, you know, growing up without a lot of means, like, you know, and I, I definitely grew up relatively stable, but my parents had their moments where it was really rough. You know, when you have something and you see someone needs it, you want to share it. You know, we had a rule at Cafe This on the shows that I booked there anyway, they, I mean, they were anywhere from two to four dollars. Yeah. If you didn't have enough money to pay two or four dollars, stay and sweep the floor. You're welcome to come in. You know, and I think that really like there was something about that that spoke to people yeah. at that time. There was a lot of kids that were really sort of like, you know, they were just kind of drifting. You know, and the Humboldt House helped with that a bit, and there was which was a residence where a lot of folks who were part of this music community lived and hung out. Just for people who don't know, and I, I mean, we didn't. I didn't particularly spend a lot of time there because I, I had a house and a girlfriend, and she had a kid, and you know, there was a lot of other stuff going on in my life at that time. But, you know, I wasn't like homeless, and I didn't need to sleep in a closet at that time. But a lot of those kids did. Yeah. Um, and I think some of them came to our shows, and some were still like really close friends with, you know, and. Um, came to our shows and, and that may be the only thing that they ate for a three day period was the sandwich that Brian made them, you know, and that like, that's why there's such a warm feeling I think about this band with certain people is because 
regardless of what people thought of our message, we weren't ever malicious. Like we weren't out going after people and being nasty. We were trying to like stir up what Brian was talking about. And that's thought, you know, and he's a teacher in some ways I am too. I, I have a business that takes people that wouldn't normally be able to get hired and I teach them how to print, which I love doing. It's one of the best things I've ever done in my life, you know, and you know, taking it back all the way back to, to those days, like, you know, and I, I, I've been talking about this a lot because of Miriam's passing. What, what, like, whenever I went to their house, and I mean, and I can say this, and I hope it doesn't bother Brian. I mean, they, they were raised by a single mom who was literally dirt poor. Like, you know, like surviving was the name of the game. It wasn't like, you know, there was a little extra money in the bank. It was like, we got to get through today. You know, we got to get through this week. We got to get through. And there were times where it was better and times when it was worse. But I never went to their house and had them not feed me. You know, I never went to their house and had the, her mom, their mom not want to have a conversation about something more than just like, you know, how's your work going, Kev? You know, so there, there was like a there was sort of a legacy of that sort of teaching and wisdom in that family. And they like like I say this all the time. I make no bones about it. Punk rock and meeting Brian and Miriam brought me to where I am today without any doubt. Like it's not, it's not, I'm totally like unequivocal about that. Like it is meeting them and finding out what activism really meant, which meant giving when you didn't have anything to give and doing when you didn't have any energy left that literally changed my life. Like you can see the progression of the things that have happened. And you know, I, I, uh, I can say that, you know, we went to a lot of other places and we were joking about a few of the shows we played because we've been together for a few weeks now getting ready for this. And yeah, I mean, people did not necessarily appreciate the things that we were saying, but we, we never like apologized for it. We offered them the mic to come up and talk about it. Yeah, we, we were challenged quite a bit and um, it, it wasn't a one side conversation. You know, we, we had our, our ideas about things and, and everyone else was was welcome to share theirs. Yeah. Um, and that's that's what I liked about the siren message is that in like a Kurt Vonnegut kind of way, there were no minor characters. You know, that's that's kind of the community type feel we were going for. And um, and it was genuine. And I think that that comes across to people. Who here was in Engage, which was a project that was prior to yeah. Kevin this band? And Kevin, yeah, right. Kevin and me. Now, like you've said, this was a, a, <laughs> a band that was maybe a little bit more in your face, Engage was. That's correct, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. yeah. Well, and you're not the only one. I mean, right. if you do, you, I, I wasn't around at the time. I was a lot younger, but it, that seems to be the consensus. Uh, Siren, a lot of the, the, the heart, I think, of what Engage tried to get across, Siren also wanted to, but maybe in a way that potentially would connect more and would it wouldn't necessarily hit you over the head with it but tried to bring you to the table more and have a conversation with you kind of like the double entendre of what uh, a siren is yeah you well, know like the siren the siren song itself is i mean yeah. in a way we were actually trying to bring people in so we were actually kind of calling people a siren can be an alarm and a siren can be this mythological force that's actually you know, kind of seducing you and yeah. bringing you in. So we were very, we, we did have a very subtle message in that way and that we were actually trying to, to bring people in well, without, subtle without and smacking. Not so subtle. Yes. <laughs> yeah. We didn't, we didn't, we didn't want to, we didn't want to, to, I mean, it's so funny because we had 
as a band, if I can go there, we were very tactical and very strategic. We yeah. weren't naive. If you look at the lyrics to our songs, we don't have a single F-bomb in there. We, we don't have any F-words. We didn't need to do that. We didn't need to put that accent into our music. We were trying to open ourselves to other people in ways which were open. We were an open-minded project, and in order to be open-minded, you can't just suddenly put up flags everywhere. By the time Siren hit, were you, you were teaching, correct? That, I was a substitute teacher. Yeah, correct. Yeah. So that was a, a little bit of the basis for you actually had some uh, uh, teaching and, and some skills about not using the F-bomb. About That's right. Uh, yeah, how to have a clever conversation. Uh, language is a, you know, this is, I mean, this is one of the one of the issues that we as a species is a prominent issue that we have to deal with is the general superficiality of what we are and the languages that we use are you know they're kind of prisons in many ways and you have to be careful with them because people are really riding on the surface so you know if i for example if if i'm in a classroom and i've got a a kid that i'm working with a 16 year old who i know is a neo-nazi um, I'm not going to come up to him and start shouting at him. Instead, I might find something that we have in common, like his love for trucks or something that I can talk to that person about. Yeah. So, I mean, that's kind of the approach that I think that we had in the band as well. Yes, we had certain things that we felt very strongly about, but we didn't want to kick and push people away, yeah. especially considering that our audience had so many young people in it. Yeah. You know, we didn't want to drive those people away. We wanted to bring them to us so that we could kind of engage in this um, open-minded exploration of what it takes to actually be a community. And communities are more than words. And right now we're just living in a world that's full of different languages that are jutting into each other. And that's creating problems. Did you make the change in sort of philosophy with Siren from Engage because you found that Engage's way of interacting with people and trying to communicate the message was hitting up against a wall? Did you find that that was turning people off and you weren't bringing as many people to the table or no? At some time, at some point and at some time, you, you, you recognize that that approach in and of itself is alienating to people. It's either alienating or it's self-rewarding. You're either speaking to the choir or you're trying to drive people away. And that's not what we wanted. We actually wanted to get everybody to think of themselves as the choir. Uh, that's sort of the essence yeah. of what we were as a band is bringing people into the choir not just for ourselves not just singing for ourselves but getting everybody to sing the song so you know in order to do that you you have to to work with language you know and 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 recognize that you know it, and i think personally you know engage was good for what it was um, both Kevin and I were extremely young when we were in that band. I can say that now. That's over 20 years. That's 27 years ago now. Um, you know, I think, Kevin, you were probably, what, 18 or 19. Mm -hmm. I was probably 21 at the time. Um, you know, at some point, the, the rhetoric just, it's not really what I, I or Kevin or other people were really were, were about. We want something more than that, more than the words, you know. And then we'll flash forward to today. We'll start zoomed in to answer his question. Yeah. We'll start zoomed in on activism today. So many of the things that you guys talked about, sang about, were concerned about, were sounding the alarm about, have come to pass. Or oh, absolutely. So let's talk about that, because that was Tom's first question. I yeah. think it's a really good one. Yeah, I think it's fascinating to see what you guys were talking about 20 years ago and where we are today. It's, it's, uh, it, it blows my mind. 
really, uh, because you guys were on it at that point. Well, I think one of the, the things, so our first seven inch was actually named after a book, um, by a gentleman named Jerry Mander, um, in the absence of the sacred. And in that book, the argument really, and he wrote another book called four arguments for the elimination of television, which I actually studied in college and loved in communications. Um, and we, I, I can't even tell you how many of those copies of that book I gave away during that time. I buy it and it was gone because I wanted people to read it. And actually, one of the things we talked about a lot was technology. And that book focuses in on this idea that the human race was too immature to handle the technology that we had kind of created. And it was dividing people out of this sort of village and community-minded like living and kind of separating us, you know, and even more so now. So, you know, if you want to fast forward that, that I think that book is even more relevant today than it was in, you know, 1994, because we have actually developed into the things that gerrymander was talking about, that Siren was talking about, the things we were handing out lyric sheets about, that we were talking about on stage, you know, and I'm not saying, I'm definitely not, you can't roll things back. You know, I'm not saying like, you know, it's like the, you know, the, the, the current political situation kind of roll things back to the constitution sorry you know i know that sounds like a great idea but it's no. just not realistic we've gone way too far we are a global world now you know you can't build walls and barriers that's going to fight technology you know you're still going to get in whether you're physically here or you know you're here because of some technology you're going to get into the society you want to get into and you're going to you're going to create that where you are right I think the interesting thing is what happened was, and it almost like fast forwarded to now in a way, like it happened so quickly. Like he was making this argument way back in the early nineties that technology had advanced too quickly for the, for the human race to really handle. We had not matured emotionally, spiritually, mentally to kind of keep up with what we were doing to ourselves. Right. And I would say that that actually, that argument is even more true today. You know, when you go on like social media, which I'm on, you know, and I, I make no bones about it. I'm on Facebook all the time. I don't, you know, I'm, you know, some might contend like my wife that I'm on too much. And, um, the fact is that you, you don't have to have a conversation with someone. You can blow up their feed with whatever the hell you want until they block you, you know, and there's no conversation in that. You're not having like an exchange. You're basically spitting out your ideas letting them spit theirs out and waiting for your next opportunity to, you know, it's like a, it's like a, a really weird, like psychotic debate, you know? And I think that, that what happened was it, it's almost like we, we, we went from the nineties to now and we just like skipped a, like we went, we just missed our teenage years as a, as a race, you know, it's like we never grew up fully. And so now we've got like this insane technology that, allows people to say whatever they want, do whatever they want, spy on each other. You know, I know where you are at this time because of this and, you know, like, and not have conversations. And I'll tell you the, what, what I've done a few times recently is I've called a couple of the people that have argued with me on Facebook because I have their phone numbers and had a conversation with them, and they are utterly shocked when I call. Like, I can't believe this guy's calling me. Him and I hardly text. We'll talk on the phone for an hour, yeah. you know, about whatever's going on. And, I just, it's, I think that, that there's a, obviously there's positives to it. We've made advances in healthcare. We've made advances in sort of taking care of each other in certain ways. But I think from a, from a community standpoint and really from emotional connection standpoint, 
like, and, and I don't even say this mildly, society has lost its mind. It is absolutely insane to think about, I, I, like, the, the, the exception is the phone call. Like, we booked entire tours on the phone, on pay phones, yeah, yeah. you know? We wouldn't even have the next show lined up yet, and we'd be calling on the pay phone, like, begging somebody to put us up and feed us and let us play in their garage, you know? And now Not it's to just mention like, writing letters to people. Writing letters. That doesn't happen anymore. Who writes anymore? The like, amazing thing to me is, is this tool that we have that brings the world together and, and, it, and it fosters communication and, and it, you know, I mean, the world used to be humongous yeah. and now, you know, you could, you could write someone in India, you could, you could see, yeah. you know, for real time what's going on in Saudi Arabia. We went from the information age to the misinformation age. So now people are proud that they've trolled in um, this, this, this man who, you know, I, I could care less about in, in, you know, 84. Now it's, you know, 2017 and he's the president and we basically elected a a brand um but whatever your political ideas are you know we went from the information age to you know i don't even know if that's legit news i mean you have to research every bit of news that comes out just to make find an angle on any part of that news by the time you're done researching the news you have no idea what's true half the time yeah, and people's yes. darkest thoughts are right there. You know, the thing that, oh, I wish I would have said that, and now you can. You can think about it, you can mull it over, and, and you, could, you could say just the most evil, hurtful things without any sort of recourse. And yeah, people are shocked when you, when you call them on it. It's interesting because you, you were warning people in this band and in other bands, this, these are problems. These are big problems. And some people probably said you're overreacting, you're, you're being silly, why Cassa- can't you just... Cassandraism or something like that. Yeah, exactly. and it's one of those things where you look back... The sky and, is falling. Yeah, and it's not, yeah. it's not gratifying to see that it's gotten so much worse, but it is sort of... Uh, it's nice to know you weren't crazy. Those things that you felt <laughs> were, in fact, very legitimate. Well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe you were crazy, but also you were right about some things too. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, I mean, I don't like like you just said. I don't know how comforting that is. I mean, you know, it's um, for people like ourselves. I think that we're one of the things that we also try to do is is, um, is somehow possess a sense of humor because it's actually very easy sometimes to uh, to get pulled into into the the negative and you know going back to even the difference between engage and siren that was one of the things that we really wanted to keep was this sense of humor so we could kind of laugh a little bit yeah. as we look at how dire the situation is i mean is it dire yes it is um a species without wisdom are losing wisdom rapidly with the technological advances that we have very very extremely dire how do we how do we get through that in a positive way um and smile and keep smiling and somehow so we don't bring people down and make them want to quit because we really want to encourage people to to continue on so um you know that's one of the things that we 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 tried was to to keep the positive not the negative but the positive that that there is always a possibility that maybe we can actually get the wisdom to flow, you know, and that's really the aim that we were about too was, you know, getting that wisdom out there and, and you know, you can't have a good community without critical thinking. No. And <laughs> we, you know, that's really what we're kind of, we were about and what we are about. I like that. This, I like to use that word critical. Uh, it's, it's, it's being critical, but not cynical. 
Right. I think that's a very important distinction, and I think there's a lot of people who don't even realize that line. And that's also, I mean, I mean, I don't want to just jump in again, but, but no, the, please do. The, the truth is, is that you know, when Kevin brought up Jerry Mander, I started thinking through the list of all these different writers who have been talking about this. I mean, we could go back to romantic poets, yeah. but there are other people like Neil Postman and others. Is that, that entertaining have, ourselves to death? Exactly. Yeah, that have book. that <laughs> have been that have been talking about this and and how we have to get away from this sort of the notion of the Orwellian and start looking towards the Huxleyan in the sense that what we've created is a world where censorship is no longer necessary when people aren't critically thinking. If you can actually have a, a, a copy of the truth sitting on a bookshelf uh, surrounded by a bunch of junk food uh, literature, if the people are always choosing the junk food, they're not going to want to even bother with the truth. So you don't even actually need to censor anything anymore if people are not thinking. And that's actually what's happening, is that people are lost in this um, amusement park. And you know, um, it's like when Joe was talking about this age of misinformation. It's easier, it's much easier just to jump on a falsehood or an instant statement than to actually think about it. You know, that's the painful part, is to actually think. So I don't, you know, honestly, I don't really, to, to me, really whether whether somebody's coming from this wing or that wing or any wing of politics is not really the issue yeah. it's their language that they're using and whether or not they're trying to go deep or whether they're just swimming on the surface of the superficial um because that superficiality is is really where the uh the, the fault is right now yeah. well and i think we we've gotten to a point and i think you would agree like so we could look back and say, oh, we warned everybody. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we had, we had the warning out there. We were right. You know, but that's part of the problem is we live in a we were right society. Look at I was right. I was right about the president's. Oh, he's in trouble now. I was right. You guys did the wrong thing. You know, and we go like we go after each other um, in a way that is co the constant trying to be right about things like all the time. Instead of having a conversation and saying, you know, which is like, it's such a weird thing in, in like, like kind of new human nature. It feels like, you know, like there's this new movement of like, you can't ask for help, you know, or you can't be maybe sort of wrong about something or not even wrong. Like you don't understand it, for example. It's like, because not only has critical thinking gone, but we've moved into a society where being educated is being elite yeah. in some way, right. right? It's particularly scary. And it's not about being educated and being, this is the problem though, because people that are educated have fed that by being right and intellectually assaulting people that don't necessarily understand, it, understand the point they're making. And one of the things I think that, and this really came out even last night. So we, like Brian came over last night, we all hung out and he was talking to my wife about how to teach somebody something. And it, it, the way he was talking about it, I was like, that's part of the problem with societies. People aren't taking the time to do that. They're just being right about things and they're completely assaulting other people with their rightness, whether it's because they're so educated and they can make a point and they can debate or whether they're maybe not as educated, but they're just right because shut up. You know, I mean, neither one of those is any better than the other. 
because people aren't having conversations. Again, what they're doing is having a blast on a, you know, on a comment board or they're having, you know, they're reading, you know, I, I tend to read lefty blogs because it makes me feel right. You know, like, let's be honest. And, but being educated is not necessarily a bad thing, but it's been made bad. Being uneducated is not necessarily a bad thing, but it's been made bad. And it, like the more that we buy into that, the more divided we're going to be, you know, just fact. I read a book recently called Chasing the Scream, and it's about addiction. And this guy basically traveled the world and talked to different people about addiction. And it's a really new model around recovery. Um, and what he's the point he's making, and I think it really feeds this conversation and it sort of draws some of the same conclusions is that people become addicted to drugs for different reasons, you know, or they become whatever their problems are. Um, what people, what this guy, his sort of like his idea, like the bottom line, the thesis was that many people become addicted to drugs or alcohol because they're not connected in some way. They're not connected with their family. They're not connected with their community. They're not connected. There's some disconnection there. And what he was kind of showing was these different areas where people actually, instead of like saying, you know, doing like behavior modification or doing like 12 step or doing, you know, fill in the blank, what they were doing was taking people and trying to help them build a little community and feel like they were supported. And most importantly, that they were loved and the results were absolutely astounding i mean we're talking about people who at certain times and i highly recommend this book because i think it feeds this conversation in a really good way and you know it's not it's not so much about the specifics of what people are doing to escape because you can do a million things to escape you can be on facebook you can play video games i mean even listening to music is an escape right oh, yeah depending on what you're movies, doing watch you know, tv yeah, put the headphones on but what, what the point was that is that what we've, what we've missed out on is the connection in the community and really the love of our fellow human beings. And I don't say that in like an airy way. Like I'm not talking about like, oh, I love you, baby. I'm, I'm like saying like that deep connected feeling you have when you really care about somebody. Like when you understand them and you have empathy for their situation. And what's missing right now is those conversations. And it was missing then. But even more so now, we've sped up so much. And, you know, we could sit here and say, oh, look at, let me pull out the siren lyric sheet. Look at how much we were right about technology. That's not going to solve any of these problems. You know, what's going to solve it is continuing to have a conversation about it and allowing other people to input on that. And then coming to a, a place where we at least understand each other, you know. So it's not just like, I'm right, you're wrong, you know. Or if I'm wrong, well, fuck you, I'm not talking to you anyway anymore anyway you know and that's kind of what people are left with right now i think people feel beyond redemption a lot and that's why i was glad you brought up the addiction thing i think that when we do everything on the surface and when somebody says the wrong thing or believes the wrong thing we're very quick to just kind of be like well you're another now Mm -hmm. and you're not worthy of love and you're not worthy of connection and you're not you cannot be salvaged you cannot be redeemed well, I'm not saying that that's even necessarily 100% right. I'm saying let's have the conversation about yeah. it yeah. and see where it goes, you know, and, and having that experience myself and, you know, I'm like, 
in November, I'll have 19 years clean and sober. So when I left Siren, I left because I started using really heavy. And I, you know, we've talked about this in interviews and we've, Brian's written about it and I'm not, I, you know, it's all over my website for my business as well. So I'm not like breaking my own anonymity here or anything. I, I think that what I've learned over the last 19 years is really important because I came in through a really hardcore behavior modification program. Like I was like basically told when to get up, when to eat, you know, if you didn't do what you were supposed to, you sat on a chair and stared at the floor, you know, you got like kind of gamed in the house that I lived in over certain behaviors. And it was just not conducive to like really feeling like you were going to someday be a productive member of society. In my opinion, I went through it. I stayed clean through it. I went to 12 step. I've done 12 step. I've also done a lot of other work, spiritual work, you know, mental health work. I've done a lot of work on myself over the last 19 years. And I think the best work that I've done quite honestly is connecting and reconnecting with people that I really love. That has been the best work that I've done far and away and not just doing it in a way that's like, Hey buddy, how you doing? And those aren't the conversations. Like Brian's a really good example. Him and I have become really close again over the last few years and, and not, and it hasn't been, it's not a mistake on my end. Like I'm not just like, no, I just, you know, I'd, I'd like to have Brian around. Like I'm pretty deliberate about the things I do. I don't have a lot of time in my life. I'm just being honest. Like I'm very busy. I have a very full life. And I think that some of the best work I've done is reconnecting with people. You know, I, I call Joe, I check in with Joe and text him and we have a connection that is like, I think stronger in many ways than we even had back then, even though we spent so much time together, not because these guys didn't care about me because I was at the time maybe incapable of really connecting in the way that I wanted to, because I didn't fully understand it then. And a lot of things happen with age and you become more wise or you don't, you know? And I think that the lucky thing for me is I've chosen for myself more wise. I've chosen that I've made a deliberate decision in my life to surround myself with the people that I like being around. And it's changed things for me, like dramatically. The last few years have been incredible. I'm in probably my first healthy relationship ever with another person that I consider a partner. And he can talk about that because he's seen it. <laughs> um, and because I, I tended to go after people that wanted to argue with me and I wanted to be an aggressor all the time, you know, and it just wasn't it was just a very different time in my life. But the, the thing is, is like going back to the original topic and that the idea of like fast forwarding to now the question that I, that I ask people and that I challenge people that, that, that work for me with is what do you want? Like, what is it you want? I can tell you from my experience, you can have anything you want, anything with the right support and the, and the right sort of attitude about where you want to go. Tell me what that is. And I will help you get there. Most of the people are like, I just want to sell a job. Okay, that's cool. I can help with that, you know? But if they come to me and they're like, look, man, I want to connect with my family and I want, I want what you have going on right now. I can help with that too. Yeah, uh, to connect two kind of far away parts in this conversation, I think the empathy aspect of what you're talking about, trying to connect with people and trying to help them is positive. And I think what you talked about, you're teaching, say, a neo-Nazi, maybe you're not going to start by telling him how dumb he is and how wrong his belief system is. You are going to try to find some area of common ground so you can try to educate and talk to. 
I hope I'm not putting words in your mouth, but these are just two aspects of being a little more thoughtful and trying to inject some good into this world a little bit. It just feels like um, the empathy that this band had and the, the trying to help others was a valuable thing about this project. I'm going to try to, uh, you know, I, and, I, and I can't remember the, 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 the man's name um, off the top of my head, but there's, a, there's an, an African-American, um, and I want to say he's a minister, but basically his trip has been to reach out to the neo-Nazi side the white supremacist side. And he's been actually going after that community, not as an adversary, right. but as a bridge builder. And yes. what he does is he'll go and he'll sit and he'll have conversations with them, he'll talk to them, and what he started doing is he's actually started collecting their robes. So they'll turn in their KKK robes or their neo-Nazi paraphernalia, and he wants to use those robes to basically start a museum at some point with them. But his whole trip is actually to build the bridges with those people. And he's actually gotten a lot of flack. And I wish I knew his name off the top of my head because I was like reading something about him and then I watched a video about him. Um, but he's actually gotten flack from the other side, from the progressives who are the, the people on the other side who say, what are you doing talking to these, these people? These people are not worthy of your that's time. How exactly, could you even give them any space? That's right. But, and But that's the only way that these bridges are going to get built. And, and it's, uh, you know, this yeah. is what, I mean, this is, again, why we have to have some kind of a sense of humor <laughs> or something. Because really, when, it, when we're, what we're talking about is we're talking about a deeper esoteric level of thinking that transcends words and getting people to go there. And that's not where a lot of people are right now. And it doesn't even, you know, this is the cult power of, 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 of words, you know, suddenly somebody joins a cause and they're this, and that cause could be, you know, when I say Nazi, for example, uh, that could be somebody who is left wing. When I say Nazi, that could be somebody who is uh, an animal rights person. When I say Nazi, that can be an anti-racist. When I say Nazi, it can be a Nazi. It's 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 more of a, a buzz term that I'm using for mentality, that somebody is that narrow-minded that they can't go beyond words. And that is really, I think, what the enemy is. I mean, we're in a real dangerous place with all that right now and, and this language trap that's going on. I see it, you know, I, I do live out in Virginia, then I come back here to California, and it seems worse here than it does out there. Um, it, the, the, the polarizing language or whatever, I'm getting it and I'm hearing it and I'm seeing about the, the protests in Berkeley and talking to my progressive friends who are talking about you know Nazis spying on them and this, that, and the other and all this language. And that's pretty scary stuff. Yeah. And I think that, that that's one of the things that we need to get beyond getting beyond the language how we're going to do that as a species i'm not so not so sure but but we're one of the forces that's trying to do that and when i say one i mean the people sitting here you know we're we're yeah yeah understanding and perspective are, are really at a premium i think that we can cater what we what we read what we hear um we, we can have a social media full of people who just agree with us um something doesn't cater to our our way of thinking we, we get rid of that. That's not a new source for us anymore. Um, you know, I have a lot of friends who are very conservative and, and, you know, very antagonistic. And, 
you know, I get I get flack from from my friends, but and and granted, a lot of things they say are are offensive and 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 you know, said in anger and meant to provoke, you know, other friends that you know you put uh, the label liberal on there, and and half the people who voted for the current president, the only thing they wanted to avoid was being called a liberal. That's it. I mean, in my in my opinion, in my opinion. That that was like the the demon word, you know. You want us to be politically correct. You want to shove this down our throats and 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 all of that. When, in my opinion, from my perspective, it's not true. And and I'm wondering what I'm missing. What, what am I missing that that these folks felt so disenfranchised that this was their alternative? This 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 was the decision they they made for for their country. I think that this is the, this is one of the things that going back to the band that we had to encounter is that, you know, you're kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't, because for some people we were too political, and then for other people we weren't political enough, and you know, so in the, especially in the punk rock community, we you know when we had our niche and we had our, our people that would come to our shows at some point, some of those people just found us not to be direct enough that we didn't use the direct enough language, that we weren't, you know, using the language of, of, of um, us and them enough. And again, that's just something that we're just not about. I mean, we're really just not about that. We're not about us and them. Um, even that, con- that concept of bina- binary thinking that we're talking about, I hear that all the time with people, and sometimes I'm hearing that from people who are using it. It's very ironic, you know, it's like us and them, us and them, and then they use us and them. Like those people can't see us and them. And you're like, okay, well, we all have this capability to see between one or the other, you know? And so um, in reality, I think that that's, again, that's what we are about is just something beyond that. You know, we're not even really about just looking at things as one or the other. We're about looking at things as more than based on everything we've just been talking about and based on the fact that we may be coming upon one of your last shows here coming up, have you guys ever thought about actually getting the band back together using that as a vehicle of, of moving people again? And do you think that in 2017 a project like this has the ability to make change? Probably actually more than ever. I think that a project like this has the ability to make change. You know, we as a, I, 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 we were, we were, we were thinkers. I mean, I hate to, we, we thought about things tactically and we could see what we were dealing with in terms of, of the audience and people in general. And, um, you know, I think that with where people are going, the idea is actually to kind of walk the fine line between cult and community and where people are going is cult. They're going straight to the cult. And in order to actually be effective in trying to change that, you have to touch on that a little bit. We did that a lot as a band. We had iconography, we had symbolism, we had catchy songs and we had stickers. We did everything and designed it in ways to play with symbolism. That has to be done to a certain degree, but it has to be done with the intent of actually trying to open doors for people so that they can actually see and think. So in reality, is this the time to do it? absolutely there's no better time to do it than when the crisis is at a hand and the crisis is is that people are thinking like cult members all over the place so what better than to actually take something like this whether it's us or somebody else hopefully and to use it to get people to think 
I mean, it's kind of ironic. And I mean, just to go there and I, and I here comes the, the, the whatever Facebook bananas or whatever. But this is kind of like the irony of the Hitler thing is that Hitler was able to tap into something about human beings and create something ugly. And what we're really about is trying to tap into something about human beings and create something that is thinking. So, you know, the question is, is whether that can happen. If it can't happen, well, what happens to us as a species? You know, we're not getting wiser right now. We're getting more impulsive. And that's the danger. Yeah. I'm going to proselytize here for a second, if you don't mind. I mean, that's I what this is for. I can't help it, but yeah. I'm, I'm going to say this, is that, is that you know, I, I, I come at things from a, a very much a kind of a, um, an anarchist background. Okay? Just like my friend Tom Gaffey. Okay, exactly. So I'm, my, my whole thing is, okay, anarchy, whatever. And, I, and I, in my heart of hearts, I, I, I would hope to see that in some future world for humanity. But in reality, we as a band, and I didn't see this enough, and, and Kevin and Joe and, and others have addressed this, is that we play on a stage. You know, we're playing on a, uh, on something that, that divides us and gives us three feet of height above audience members. I have never seen the stage as anything but a fascist tool. And so already on that level, I've already kind of sold out to a degree, but it's there. So it's something that we just have to kind of work with a little bit, but not enough people are actually challenging even that. So there are all these assumptions that are around me and that surround me in this world that basically we just have to work with. But this is there. It still is there. And that stage is getting higher and higher. It's, it's these, these machines, and I mean, here comes the proselytizing, these, these machines that on one hand can offer us liberation and a faster way for us to reach ourselves, a faster way to educate ourselves, they're also they're quickening the process of creating division. You know, they've been sold to us along the lines of this is going to liberate you and you're going to find Wikipedia and you're going to find information and all these kinds of things. And what you see on the other side is that people are becoming numb. They're just falling for it. And that's really, again, that's, that's the danger here. Um, you know, oftentimes we just have to work with what's at hand. But it's funny to me that no one even really criticized the stage. You know, we criticized all these things without criticizing it. We would, you know, if some kid came up to me and asked me for an autograph, we would say why, in a kind way. Or, you know, even when I, when I would write my columns for Maximum Rock and Roll, I didn't mention the people that I had a problem with by name. And it was so funny because some people actually, they could identify themselves and they would say, oh, you wrote this about me, but I never mentioned their names, Jello Biafra. Uh, you know, I didn't mention Jello Biafra by his name and he had a problem with what I wrote about him. I used a euphemism, but that's exactly what I'm talking about. I just mentioned him by name. We're clever enough that, that Kevin, Joe, Adam, others, we will do things like that. You know, if he actually hears this now, then he'll know because I asked him when he came up and confronted me about that. You know, this is what we play with. We're more than words. We're more than flags. We're more than a stage. And somehow we have to deal with that. You know, tearing that thing down. How many people have I seen on a stage that belong there? In terms of politics, very few. Would I name them by names? I like Cesar Chavez quite a bit. I like Jane Goodall quite a bit. After that, it starts limiting out, you know, 
recognizing what the stage is and what the division is is an important first step. I heard Cesar Chavez actually tell a story about rescuing spiders from his bathtub. He was on a stage and the story actually humanized him greatly and made me feel like I was part of it. That's actually really what we're about, is we're about challenging the media, challenging these things, and getting people to see it as a tool that we can use to create community, wisdom, togetherness, thinking. That was proselytizing. That was great. I'm sorry. No, that's you could do that times ten, and it would be encouraged. It was a full thought. And you know, Jello is welcome to come on the show for a full rebuttal if he would like. Um, (laughs) Everyone's welcome on the Phoenix stage. That's why it's great. It's everybody's building. Funny enough, that was a huge part of what we did was invited people up on stage stage at the end of every show. You know, some people did it, some didn't, but making that last song our song whoever was there that night it was ours it didn't belong to siren it didn't belong to non-siren members it was our song and i don't even know how that started but that was like one of my favorite parts of playing with this band was that when we played that cover of money changes everything everybody that wanted to come up and sing and dance and be a part of that was welcome I have a feeling what I'm about to bring up kind of plays into what you just said. Uh, Gabe Moline, formerly editor of The Bohemian, now of KQED, had a really great conversation with you guys when you had your 2011 reunion. It's up on The Bohemian site. I recommend people look at it. Uh, Miriam, Mm -hmm. who, again, is the reason why we are here tonight, is the reason why you are in California. Right. Um, She commented on that. And she talked a little bit about your mom, but there was one quote in particular. She said, Siren took on a David versus Goliath fight against the corporate takeover of independent music, which many of their peers fell to. Um, does that bring up anything inside of you? Because you, you point out the stage as being an issue. Well, that's, a, I mean, that's about as basic as it gets, and then you go from there. We're talking about deep structures so when we challenge power, we challenge power on deep structure levels. Yeah. Um, you know, it, you know, it's it's funny. You'll hear a lot of songs against police officers, for example, and sometimes they'll be put out by people who are on the record labels that that are doing very questionable things. And those same people have a lot of resources and wealth, and basically live in gated communities that are protected by the same police that they're actually criticizing, if you follow me. So what I'm getting at is that um, challenging the corporate structure, challenging uh, that nature of things is, is, is deep. It's deeper than simply going after something that's on the surface. It's kind of like, I'm going to give a shout out here, but it's like the movie The Founder, which I just saw recently, or anything like that. Understanding the way that the corporations work the, the really successful ones also work out a way which is beyond words. They can actually make themselves look pretty left or right or whatever it takes yeah. for them to make profit and to move with that. And as entities, they're very, very astute at keeping control. So um, in terms of a boogeyman or something like that, without looking at the people who work for these entities as, who are human beings, but looking at the effect of what they create, they are entities. Uh, they are. They they function in as as uh, you know. They they function as if they're alive, um, and I think a lot of them definitely need to be challenged. Uh, they're they're a source. They're a source of problems, not a not an effect. Uh, they're a cause. 
Um, so, you know, when I think we, we focus on things that are a problem, focusing on causes as opposed to effects, these things like uh, all the things that we can think of, um, the problems in the world, the stupidity, the lack of critical thinking, it's not, it's an effect, it's not a cause. People don't have to be dumb. People don't have to be <laughs> walking around in a daze. You know, something is actually pushing that. And so we have to kind of aim at what's causing that without focusing on people as scapegoats, but looking at these structures that we create that are actually enforcing and reinforcing that. And I think that that's kind of where Miriam was going with what she said, and she was right, is that we challenged what we saw as happening with punk rock in terms of how corporations uh, and music and art, how corporations were coming in and using it as uh, as advertising billboards and why and how that is a, that is a danger and a threat you know uh well it's it, you know it, it uh, when when hip hop started popping up uh and it seemed as though a threat boy we took a lot of heat uh in the early days when we were doing hip hop and uh and it seemed like it was the scourge now it's the basics of most of the commercials you see on TV it has become it the, the corporate world. Uh, that entity has run with it and and actually is is made it a part of their vocabulary. Well, they're um, they're, they're kind of like the Borg. I mean, they assimilate yeah. whatever I they mean, need I, to to control, right? Me, I mean, me, that that's the that is the deal. Let me add to this because Kevin actually brought this up when he was talking about me talking about teaching. Because in the context of the conversation we were having, it was actually directly related to this. And the, the, the fact is, is that I lived in the Czech, Czech Republic for 10 years, and I had my own business. I had a school there. This before, was post-Siren? Post-Siren. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And before I moved back to the States, I had a business where I would work with my Czech students. Well, I can't tell you how many Czech students that I had, especially young ones, who used the word bitch to refer to prostitutes. Okay, and the reason that they were doing that was because they were listening to um, yep. corporate manufactured hip hop. And so they were, these were white people who were using the word bitch to refer to women, basically. So they would say things like, oh, Brian, the bitches are on the street tonight, or something like that. And I would say, you know, me as a person, I would say, you know, it just doesn't work. And I would have to explain to them what was going on they were actually being fed people in this it, it, we have a we have a if, if nothing else the united states has a um as a if we want to call it an empire people would argue with that but our media is an empire and it affects the world and i taught english and i worked with teaching english okay and american english is what i taught and american english is the business english of the world now and it's spread and it's morphed and it's given itself out there to the world and it becomes in and of itself a, an oppressive force in that way and we were talking about this because you know no one's challenging that no one's going to challenge the fact that that our language which uh, the hip-hop language which has become a corporate language and I'm, I'm this is speaking heresy but it's it's true has become so out there so so powerful and ubiquitous that you're going to find it in a market uh, at a country like the Czech Republic being used by people who don't understand it that's actually their grasp of of the language now so that's how it kind of runs through and you know that's well that's a good example of the consequence yeah you know what happens here and Absolutely. what is what is happening here and is affecting our society and then bleeds outward and then affects the entire world and you saw a glimpse of that in the Czech Republic right yeah 
Well, I think it's it's interesting too, going back to something that we were talking about a few minutes ago with um, Miriam's comment on that article that that Gabe wrote. Um, there there were definitely bands that were taken to task specifically in different ways, you know, whether it was a flyer or that they were mentioned specifically on stage as a band, not individual people, not like, you know, so-and-so from this band is a problem. They're doing this thing that's ruining the scene. Basically the idea and the same time that siren was kind of getting rolling and we were, you know, playing bigger shows an art, a really large article came out in maximum rock and roll about the corporate takeover of, of the punk scene and, um, that Brian contributed to greatly. And, um, the funny thing was that not only did the bands that signed that we mentioned specifically and called out in flyers, all four of us that were out here flyering, you know, that giant, you know, uh, group of us that were, you know, wrecking everybody's fun. Um, not only did they take it personally, but people that were involved with them took it really personally that we would actually speak ill of the corporations that they were now doing business with. And it's just such a funny thing. It goes into the same language we use now of the like right and wrong and the there's no conversation. It's asking somebody to look at their decision making is is like I swear it's like a it's like a deadly sin at this point. And it was then too. Like coming to a show and saying you know, a sold out show at the Phoenix, you know, and I don't care. We'll mention the band cause the flyers are out there and we got both Brian and I got interviewed for pitchfork a couple of years about it. There's two of them. Um, green day. Um, and coming out here, there was what, maybe five of us, six of us. Oh, it was less than that. I don't know. It was you and me and Miriam and, and Mark. Yeah. So and this green day had signed to a yeah. major label and right. they were playing one of their first shows after signing here. Yeah. And we, as members of this community in Sonoma County had something to say about that, which I think is totally relevant and, and necessary to have that conversation. We weren't saying that you as an individual is wrong, but we want you to think as a group about your decision to do this and what it means to not just you, but the scene and who you're putting more money into the pockets of. It's, it's, it's a perspective thing, too. Uh, when we started going to punk rock shows, there wasn't any money in it. You know, like I said, bands would pay to play. They'd pay the venue, and then they'd sell tickets to actually make their money back. So when bands did become big and they did start becoming profitable, they'd be on a label that could foster other smaller projects, bands that maybe didn't make any money. And what was happening was these major labels, since the Nirvana and, and whatever became super huge, these, these corporations came in and they started cherry picking these bands from these labels and these smaller labels suffered for it. And, and the scene suffered for it, in, in my opinion. And that, that's kind of the climate we were in at the time. There was a lot of money coming in. There were bands playing their first show and being signed to a major label. And to be dropped on their head if they didn't profit, you know? I think, well, a, I think a lot of us were, were at that time, especially, we were afraid of what was going to follow, which did follow. Yeah. We were afraid of going to places like uh, Gilman Street and seeing A&R reps, which did happen. And 
basically that just it did increase tenfold and it's not one of those things to say i told you so it's just that we knew that that was going to happen and we knew that something had to be said you know you know sometimes these things can be you know we can look back in hindsight and say was it effective something had to be said you know and sometimes you know it's like a protest sign maybe you could have done it better i don't know but um, but something has to be said. I mean, sometimes. could you have lived with yourself if you hadn't said something? You know, you felt Some, strongly. No, something about had it. to be said. Yeah. Something had to be said. Well, and I, yeah. I think the maybe the way it was said. I don't know. It could have been different. I you know we talked about this. We've talked about this a lot, but we this came up in conversation specifically around some of the bands that got signed that grew up in similar situations to to Brian and Miriam. Yeah, and it. it it's not a righteous or nasty thing to ask somebody to think about their choices. Would Brian have made the same choice coming from the same poor background? Probably not. At that time, no. Right? So it's not, it's not as if like every a, person it, it, given the same set of circumstances. It's like, but certain people, yes, here's a bunch of money. You've never had money in your life before. You could do great things with this. You know, this could be really great for you. You know, I mean, it's really hard to say no to that. I'm not, yeah. I'm not even saying now that it was the wrong choice for any of those bands at that time. I don't know. I'm, I didn't make that It's a that difficult choice. question. That question is a difficult yeah. one, even for me. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to sit there and go, oh, I want to. No, I, I actually would. I mean, it's a difficult question. When you're broke, when you don't have resources and somebody comes to you with a bag of money or says, Hey, come fly with me in my jet yeah. and whatever. And they offer you these things. And you know, of, of course there's that strong temptation. And there's also the idea that you can help people. And there's all these things that go on with that. I mean, I don't even know if that's, you know, the, the question, the question more, I think for us and Kevin, we were like, how old at the time? 23, 24. Mm -hmm. It's still a difficult question to this day, but it's more of a question of, of how are we going to respond to this before it before this this kind of has a very negative effect on our community um, because the, the you know corporations just like hip hop and 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 other things before they've had a tendency to suck the energy out of these things and to leave them dead and dry and well, that's once what, they're not of use anymore which of use is making money right. There's no, the necessity is gone. Because the crowd, the crowd crystals that tend to create community usually do it because it's something in their heart. It's not for a profit motive. And when the profit motive comes in, those crowd crystals, they're not there anymore. So you don't, you know, you end up with a, with a gone scene or a dead scene, you know, <laughs> and, and, and where is it now, you know? Um, our, uh, in, in many ways, our, our adornments, our, our, our clothing, and all those things are, we're like the, the, you know, the, the tribe that's had its, you know, had its soul and essence commercialized. And we saw that coming and it happened. Are we talking about Hot Topic? We had, we saw that, yeah. we saw that, we saw that, we saw that coming and it did happen. It happened just the way we thought it was going to happen. And, you know, of course, those of us who are not, you know, that are trying to live beyond the superficial, you know, we have to understand that the clothes and things like that, they're not what we really are about. But it still is, you still see the, the, the wiping away of something. The, the the elimination of something it becomes you know it, it, it becomes a product and 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 that's uh you know 
that's something that we we you know we wanted more than we wanted more than to be just another pair of te- tennis shoes or whatever it was that they were really trying to sell because it's not just music you know it's not just about music that's what even with, with this band you know we're more than music we're a message and a meaning and you know corporations don't just buy music they buy something that they can put on their message and their meaning they they buy something that they can put on their tennis shoes or their the movie that they're selling which is actually an ad for something else you know and so <laughs> it's you know that's 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 what we were we we were dealing with that's what we're still still dealing yeah. with before we go to um we're not not quite done yet, but um, before we go to the last chapter, Miriam has sort of been present here tonight. Um, she was right. the source of some prompts, and again, we would not be sitting here if it yep. weren't for her. So I, I think it would be appropriate um, to just kind of contextualize for the audience who was Miriam, why was she the fifth member, what did she mean to you folks? Um, I think that would be a good thing to do. I'll start. Uh, we're here today because uh, Miriam did more for this band than I personally did in this band. Um, She was always unwavering in the love and support that she gave to the band um, and kind. And um, she, she dealt with some, some people who were pretty selfish. I mean, at 23, I was a selfish, you know, boy. I I wouldn't even call myself a man. Um, And she always had a way of putting things into perspective and getting us back on track and um yeah she she was a really special person uh, like the eternal optimist what what she thought we can do with the band uh, where she thought the band was going and um and because she believed in us a lot of times you know it it made us believe in our in ourselves and what we were doing that's pretty spot on yeah. <laughs> i'm trying to trying to see if i can if i can add something to that of course she's my sister uh you know my sister was in a, in a it, my sister's life was a as a community activist you know she was working uh at the food bank for for quite some time she was um their community outreach coordinator and uh a major major component in trying to do things she was very involved in the history of the scene uh she helped um uh, set up one of the only all ages venues in northern california in its time which was the place uh, in Davis, California, and tons of bands played there, got their start there. Another place that was like, you know, Gilman Street. She set up huge shows in Sacramento. She was always a community supporter. And, um, you know, in that sense, she really represented the essence of, uh, represented and represents the essence of what we were and are as a band, which is a community band. Um, she gave to the community and she was a part of the community and we are a part of the community and we hope to give back. So in a sense that, that, that circle has to continue. Uh, so in, in essence, this probably is the, is one of the best things that we can do is to at least come together and play a show that's dedicated to her memory. Uh, our, our hope and intention, I think, I, I hope I can speak to everybody here is, is, we really want this to be a happy time and to, you know, focus on the positives with yeah. that. You know, my sister's passing was, she passed away actually very peacefully. And to me, that was actually um, 
one of the things that I was really hoping for was that she would just go to sleep the way she did. And I felt a very, very good sense from that. And I'm kind of hopeful that we can sort of get that energy channeled, that we can actually channel the positive, not the negative, and just sort of, you know, let that, that spirit go. Yeah. So, um, I, you know, it's Miriam at different times in our friendship, both like clearly she inspired me and I, you know, I've already spoken to that. She also frightened me a little bit at times cause she was so, I don't even know how to put it. I, I like, I tend to not love the word fierce, but that's the only thing I can really come up with. Um, she was so like incredibly loyal as well as a friend and as a, as a sister and um, to Brian's, uh, to their mom. I mean, just incredibly giving. And like, even in like the most frustrating times, like just like, you know, I, I, when she applied for the job at the food bank up here in Sonoma County, she asked me to write her a letter of recommendation. And it was like, I was honored to be able to do it. Like, you know, and I, I worked in nonprofit at the time and it was like when she, when she asked me to, to be on her letter, like on her recommendation list, I was just like, hell yes. Well, can they call and ask you some questions about how you know me? I'm like, of course, you know, and like for her to come back after all those years, cause the, the split up with me leaving the band was not easy, especially on Brian and, you know, because of our close friendship and, you know, her, her loyalty and like, you know, and love for her brother made it difficult for her and I as well. And for us to come full circle like that and be able to like help her when she needed it and get the job she really wanted, like what I felt like I was doing for her was what she did for everybody else throughout her entire life. The entire time I knew her, she was like literally a tireless activist for the things she cared about. She, there were times where I was just like, God, why are we playing another benefit? And honestly, the answer was because Miriam asked us to. No other reason. Because she, this is an important cause. She knows it. And if you don't know it, basically just come play and you'll see why. You know? And so we did shows at Epicenter. We did shows at Commotion for some really great organizations in San Francisco. You know, we did shows at Gilman Street for Women Against Rape. And and a lot of that was like the way that I have put it and the way that I feel about Miriam as far as her role in Siren. She was by like any definition, the conscience of our band for real. Like she when we would get big headed about stuff, she would keep us on track when we would be like sad about things. She would keep us on track when we were discouraged. She would keep pushing to move things along, you know, and. I don't even know, like honorary fifth member seems a little like almost like selling it short a little bit. I mean, she was like so key in the formation of this whole project that without her, I don't think it actually would have happened. Like she encouraged Brian to really let loose and sing the way that he can. And, you know, and also encouraged us to play a different kind of music than we, a lot of us even listen to it. I mean, I was listening to like discord at that time. You know, we do not sound like Fugazi by any means. You know what I mean? We don't even sound like early Discord. I mean, you can hear some of it in like Soulside and some of those other bands for sure, maybe Ignition. But the fact of the matter is we were like really stretching ourselves. And 
to say that she was an influence on that is again selling it short like she was an integral part of our day-to-day lives in so many ways like i was looking at pictures on her on her facebook page last night and i got i actually got really emotional because there's a picture of her and my my girlfriend at the time that she and miriam like wasn't the typical punk like she like early on she wore a lot of like you know like jean vests and had dyed hair but as she got a little older and the band developed she was wearing like vintage clothes and like always like had like a really like she had like a look i mean she was like she was way ahead of her time in style too and you know it she carried herself as a professional with our band and we needed it. I mean, we really were a bunch of like selfish kind of brats at certain times or I was, I know, I mean, Joe already admitted it, you know, and I think, I think having, I think having that, that kind of like, she was a she was definitely a little, if not a lot more mature than the rest of us. And she carried herself in a way that was kind of forced us to be more, not just like thoughtful in what we did, but honorable in what we did, like honoring who we really wanted to be, not just who we were right at the time. And I think that for me personally, there's a lot of people that have influenced me in my life. And I, you know, I, I right now we're honoring Miriam though. And, and the fact of the matter is that her, I mean, God, it's just the crazy, like there's pictures of Brian and I at animal rights protests and you don't see Miriam in those photos, but she was there the reason she wasn't in the photos is because she was like directing the press to make sure they were getting the right picture of us or she was organizing and making sure that we were like in the right place at the right time, you know, and she didn't need the limelight the the same way maybe him or I did, you know, like it was just a very different sort of like come from, she would get speakers to speak at events at Epicenter, like, like women in music that really represented like important parts of the music scene, not just performers, like, Ramona from Bottom of the Hill, who owned and booked at Bottom of the Hill and still does, you know, people that were like really doing things. And I think that the 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 thing that gets missed a lot um, in activism is these days is because people are so reactive, the thoughtfulness disappears. And the one thing that I can say with without any doubt that I, you know, her and I had different run ins and I'm not going to like candy coat that we had times where we had disagreements and she definitely never backed down. But I think that something that is really important to point out about her and where I was going with it is the thoughtfulness in the actions. And when we talk about being strategic and we talk about sort of like kind of being tactical around what we did, a lot of that influence was, was Brian and Miriam and them having constant conversations about what was next, you know, and not just like sitting on our, like kind of like sitting back and saying, oh, well, we did that really well. Oh, good job. Pat on the back. You know, like what was next? And it was a constant challenge. And at times it was frustrating for me because I felt like I couldn't keep up sometimes. But, you know, I mean, I keep going back to like what my life is like now. I think without meeting the two of them and, and doing this project, none of the things that I've been able to do over the last 20 years would have come to fruition in the way that they have. And I look at my life now and I say, like, my my question that I ask myself, even when I'm really tired, which I am a lot, like, what am I going to do today to make my world, which right now is San Francisco, a better place? I think that when I when I think about Miriam and I honor her, what I say is, you know, on the positive note, what can I do to make the world a better place right now? This may be your last show this coming Saturday. It may not be. We never know what the future is going to hold. 
But if it is, and we're all here, it's useful to think about, you know, what this band meant to you, legacy, and sort of end on that. Now, this whole episode has been about that, but it seems like Miriam's spirit and like what she believed in was almost synonymous with what this band uh, believed in, uh, being thoughtful about who you want to be in this world, taking a stand, being active, having conversations. Uh, what a beautiful thing that is. Um, so I guess the last thing I would say is, um, is there anything else to say about this project, about what it meant to your personal lives, about the adults that you've become? This is the time to say it because here we are. This may be the last time for a while you guys are at the same table. Um, I, w- I wanted to say how great it was that so many people came to the shows. Um, so many, so many amazing people that, that I'm, I'm privileged enough to call friends now, but how lucky we were to have, you know, that crowd to play to and, and with, and, um, how lucky we were to have the Phoenix theater here to, to, to foster all of that. Um, it it was, it was the time of my life and, and, um, you know, I, I really value the friendships I made, you know, including Miriam. And I was never afraid that Miriam was going to kick my ass. I was more afraid that I was, she had so much integrity that I was afraid of disappointing Miriam. <laughs> yeah. She would give you this, this look like, like, you know, I'd say something and, and she that, thought was thoroughly immature and she'd kind of tilt her head to say, you know, you know, Joe, you're better than that. And, and she was right. But, um, yeah, I value my, my friendships with my bandmates, uh, Brian and Kevin and, um, and Adam and uh yeah i had that time and i and i really appreciate it well you know i don't want to you know with a question like that i I don't want to sound like a cliche but the 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 truth about it is is that this our experience with this project has been pretty rough sometimes uh we had a lot of struggle and a lot of hardship and um but the thing is is that i and i know it's going to sound like a cliche but those are kind of the things that really matter. You know, the things in the journey that are actually difficult are the things that make you remember the journey. So, you know, the, the, the truth of it is, is just like Miriam fighting. You know, we learn something from this process. As much of a cliche as it may sound is that, is that it, makes, it makes me stronger. Uh, you know, I think it actually taught us something. It taught us a lot through the struggle of what it was, you know. You know, we were, we were given an, can I say this? We were given an offer at one point to do a deal and we didn't take it, you know. And that would have made it easier for us. But would we have learned the same thing if we had done that? I don't think so. I know it sounds so ridiculous. We had to go through what we had to go through to learn from the process and I know that Kevin can say, well, I learned a lot from, 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 <laughs> from, from what I went through. You know, my mother passed away six years ago. My sister just passed away. All these things happen. And if anything, if you're, if you're trying to embrace what is wisdom and wise, you're going to take away from these tough things and learn from it so that you can help educate others that are going to go through it too. Life has got to have some... some it, it, you know, we're not, that's another thing about people. You know, 
it, it, it's not only a life of convenience. There are bees that sting you. There's going to be pain in the journey. And we have to actually understand what that is to understand what it means to have pleasure. So there has to be dichotomy. So, you know, in this sense, um, this band was a fantastic learning experience, hard as it was, because we really believed in it. <laughs> and we really put our souls into it, and we really tried. But it was a teacher, you know, and a great teacher, and something that we, we learned from. I mean, Kevin and I are back together again, I'm seeing Joe. We've all had rough times, but you know, yet we're sitting here and we're talking about the things that are important. Yeah. You know, what more can you hope for in life? I, I mean, that's the success right there, yeah. is that we, we, we've completed the continuity of that, that we're not just you know, sitting someplace bemoaning ourselves, that we're actually continuing. Yeah. So you know, I, I have nothing but uh, a thank you to say for the project and what it has offered and what it has given us. And may we go forward from it and, and succeed in trying to, to, to bring enlightenment and wisdom and compassion into this world. That's the best that I can say. Yeah. Couldn't have said it better. <laughs> I think, uh, <clears throat> you know, who knows what, what's going to happen. I mean, I, in, in my opinion based on you know people's situations it's difficult to say that we can get back together the four of us in any like regular way anyway i mean we'd live in separate states you know well three of us live here so we would just have to get brian back but you know the the fact is that you know and this is the the single most important thing and i think brian really touched on it in the in the pain and in the suffering and in the things that aren't pleasant that have happened you know how do we grow from those things and then beyond that how do we sort of infuse our experiences into whatever the next step is so when i think about you know and and i don't want to sound cliche either but when i think about siren i don't think about a lp or a show or a flyer or even the songs that much, I actually think about a feeling that I've had the great, great fortune to carry out in my life in ways that I don't think I fully understood when we were first doing this, you know, and going back and looking at it through, you know, a 46 year old's eyes and someone that's been through a lot of rough stuff over the last, you know, 25 five years or whatever, you know, my perspective is much different. So when I look at the project as a whole, I don't think it's actually over by any stretch of the imagination. I think what's happened is that we've morphed it into ways in our life to take what we learned and share it with people that we care about, you know? And I think when I think about Brian teaching ESL, and especially to people that are looking at a path to citizenship and who knows what's going to happen with that over the next few years. I mean, we live in a different world politically now. Um, but probably the light that turns on for these people is the same feeling I get when somebody learns how to run the press for the first time, or, you know, when I see my eight year old do something for the first time. And 
I think like enjoying those things in life is actually exactly the spirit of siren. And it's exactly the spirit of what I would like to say I learned from Miriam. And so we walk away after Saturday night and it's not like anything's over, you know, and people pass and, you know, you know, we lose things in our lives, but really the ultimate goal is gain. And what have we gained from the experience of being together again? And, um, you know, the fact of the matter is I love these guys. I mean, that's really the deepest truth. And it took all of this and the shitty stuff and the good stuff and the not talking for years to get to the point where I could just say to that to them in person without any embarrassment or fear. So I think that's what we walk away with. And, you know, if we don't carry out this project in the spirit of what we do going forward, that's our fault. That's not, has nothing to do with the show. It has nothing to do with us ever getting on our instruments together again. If we don't do it, it's 100% on us at this point. Just like we've asked people to be responsible for themselves and think about the things that they're doing. And we've asked hard questions and gotten hard responses at times that we did not want. If we don't do the same thing to ourselves at this point, it's, it's not anyone's fault but our own. One thing that I will take away and I'll say to people, and I know this is cliche, <laughs> don't hesitate to tell the people in your life you love them because you never know. You never know. And it, as cliche as that sounds, it is the absolute 100% truth. It's not a cliche because it didn't happen. You know, it's, it's, it becomes a cliche because too many people have not said goodbye or I love you. That's why it's a cliche. And, you know, I know for, you know, for my current life, you know, I've, I, I don't think I mentioned this. I have a baby on the way and I hope, you know, I'm hoping for a healthy child. Um, and that's all I really care about. I don't, anything else is, you know, is icing. But um, I think that, um, that carrying the community and the love and the support into my daily life is what I would like to continue to do. And that keeps this project alive. And Tom Gaffey. Do you have any thoughts yeah, on the band known as Siren? Today, it, it hit me earlier when I was looking at some of the pictures of some of the shows you had here. And uh, the band's on the stage, and I get to sit with you, and I know where you are now. I wonder about the kids that were out there and the kids that were up on this stage with you while you guys were playing. And how many of those kids are going to be listening to a piece of this uh, podcast? And if you were out there, uh, and you're listening now, uh, that stuff you were feeling then was real, and it was important, and it was exactly what you thought it was. And I'm hoping that you have been able to hold a spark of that as you become the adults that you now are. And uh, just remember those moments and, and realize that you were right to feel the way you felt. You were right to like what you were watching and being a part of. And uh, God love you. I hope you're still out there listening. Because these guys are still here doing it. <laughs> what more can somebody say on top of that statement? Thank you, I mean, Tom. that's a beautiful thing. Um, I just, from this whole production, I'm just really appreciative that you guys joined here tonight because it's a band that meant a lot to a lot of people and means a lot to a lot of people. Yeah. And to be able to, like, capture 
so much history and so much philosophy and the performance for those people, but also for future generations, for your, your child. I mean, for, for, it's just, it's just, it's a really beautiful thing that we're here. And so, I mean, thank you guys for for the activism. Thank you for the music and thank you for taking the time to hang out with us here tonight. Thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah, Thank you. I I do want to say one thing about the Phoenix and I know this has been said before, but it can't be said enough. This place needs to be here. And I am so utterly grateful for Tom and all he's done and giving us as a community a place to go. A lot of us didn't necessarily, and I can't say this for myself, you know, as everybody here knows well, my parents are awesome. But there were a lot of us that did not feel safe at home. And this was a very safe place to come and still is. And that is something that is much needed in this world, especially for young people. It really is. So. Well, thank you. Our conversation with Siren has concluded, but in just a moment, and perhaps for the second to last time, Siren takes the stage at the Phoenix Theater. Thanks again, guys. Thank you so much. Thank you.
Wait.